Welcome to the Wealth Easy Podcast, your destination for insights on wealth, health, and real estate. I'm your host, John Durbano. I went from former financial advisor for a big bank to now educating people on how to plug your financial leaks and create your rich life without using the stock market. Before we dive in, please hit that subscribe button and share it with others. By subscribing, you're helping the show grow using the algorithm and allows us to get even more successful guests on the show. Now let's begin creating your rich life. Welcome back everybody to the Wealth Easy Show where we talk all things wealth, health, and real estate. Today my guest, he's had a 34-year career in the mortgage industry where he has personally facilitated over $1.5 billion in residential mortgages. He is the owner and broker of Rock Capital, a franchise of the Mortgage Center, where he has built his agency to over 100 agents doing $700 million of revenue in 2022, ranking him the fourth largest in Canada. He is a friend of mine and a mortgage broker, Dwight Trafford. Dwight, welcome to the show. Hi, John. Thanks for having me. Great. So what's been going on in, the, uh, in your world, in the industry? What have you seen in, the, in 2023? Because I know I'm, I work with you. Uh, in the in the mortgage industry, and I've seen it's it's my mortgage business has dropped about eighty percent. What have you seen in the in the industry in twenty twenty three? Well, the industry, the entire industry is down, depending on who you who you listen to, twenty to forty percent. Um, and I think and that that's right across the board. But you're down from a couple of years that were just crazy years twenty twenty one and and and, uh, uh, and twenty two. So. You can't really compare that to what what's going on right now. I think the best comparison would be more like 2019, but it is a completely different market. And uh, obviously, real estate sales are down, but again, down from what? You know, I mean, everybody was buying, everybody was selling in the last two years. So, I think we're we're in a, a normal market. Obviously, rates are higher, uh, but again, they're not crazy high. But the rates are higher, and when you're used to one percent, five and a half is a little hard to swallow. So that slowed everything down, and I think there's a little bit of apprehension because of the media. Um, our price is going to drop further, and you know, our rate's going to go up higher. Um, so there's a little apprehension there, because of, mostly because of the media, but I don't think it's real. I think, uh, I think next year is going to be a good year. I think people that need to buy will buy. People that need to sell will sell. And Canadians adjust pretty quickly to, the, to what interest rates are today. Um, they're... You tell them you've got five and a half they say okay that's great you know whereas a year ago they would have looked at you like you had three heads but <laughs> right now yeah five and a half is not too bad i can live with six even although renewals are going to be a problem for for some yeah, people, we're, yeah. We're, we're, we're gonna we're gonna definitely touch on that yeah. take us back to 1989 when you guys started in the business what got you into the mortgage industry and why well i mean the mortgage industry being a mortgage agent which i, I was at the time is really just a sales position similar to uh to real estate or life insurance or, or selling cars. Um, and I've always been in sales and in some form or another, had my own business for a while. And um, so this was just another another sales job. And I had a, my neighbor was a, a mortgage facilitator for Montreal Trust, long gone, but so was he, fortunately, unfortunately, whatever. But uh, <laughs> uh, it was just another sales. He he, I had just sold a business and was looking for another opportunity, and uh, he got me interested, so I signed up. Okay, never looked back 34 years later? Never looked back. It's been a pretty good ride. In 1992, you joined forces with the Mortgage Center. Yeah, that was, it was more about technology. Um, so Mortgage Center was really the very first, 
we'll call them a, a super broker, uh, whereas it's a, a consolidation of brokers and using a similar technology. Before I joined the Mortgage Center and had their technology, everything was by fax or in person. Um, so the Mortgage Center had a, a platform where we could submit deals electronically to a number of lenders or um, at that time, we'd send it to all lenders at the same time, and then they would bid on it, which was not a great, uh, a great idea. Uh, but um, it was really about the technology. It was called LSS back then, and bought my little mini Mac computer and started sending deals electronically. And it did make things a lot easier. It was easier to to get a credit bureau, easier to keep track of your files, and uh, so that was the main reason I joined uh, Mortgage Center. Uh, also, it was nice to be part of something bigger and bigger, and to have a brand. Um, other than at that time, my company was called Mountain Mortgage, which um, so Mortgage Center was a brand, and it just seemed like the right move at the time. And it's been a it's been the right move all along. Even st- even today, they may not be the largest um, super broker today, but they are one of the most respected, um, and they run very very well. And I enjoy and really appreciate the people at Mortgage Center and. Um, I'm happy to be a part of that uh, organization. Well, when you started, you, you were doing about $30 million a year. And now, um, you know, as, mm. as a whole, in 2022, you went to almost $700 million. What do you attribute to that growth? Well, that's, uh, I mean, me personally, I, I mean, yes, in my first few years, I was doing $30 million just all by myself. And that was a lot of work. And uh, although deals were a lot easier, every deal that came by, you pretty much just rubber stamp it and send it through. That's not the way it is today. Did you find there was less lenders back then? Oh, there was, we only had a half a dozen, okay. if, if that. And uh, so we'd get a file and then we'd drive around to the different lenders and see who would take it and get it done. Um, it's way, way, and, and back then, of course, the lender had the option to look at a file and say, yes, I'll do this deal, where that's not the case anymore. It has to fit their box exactly. And then somebody other than the underwriter reviews it and makes sure it, it fits so things were a lot easier. I could process a lot of files a lot quicker. Today, every file is a lot of work. So to do, I mean, I don't do $30 million anymore myself. But as far as the company doing $700 million, yes, we've added agents, and I've added staff and support staff to, as you know, you're one of my agents. You get support from my, from my team, and mm-hmm. I have a wonderful team. Yeah, I have a wonderful team, and they're very supportive. Um, you never feel like you're bothering them when you need help with a file, and uh, with all with all the activities that we do with the team, the Zoom calls and and our conferences and our social act, social outings and activities, um, you know, we've just got a really great team. The the hundred agents, a lot of them are brand new, and and they're gonna um, their production will will start, you know, as they get their feet feet wet and and get going. But it's really been a joint effort, bringing in some solid good solid agents, some solid brokers, and a really great support team. That's helped us get to seven hundred million. We we don't lose agents very rarely because um, they, they again they appreciate the culture at Rock Capital um, and they appreciate the support they get. So we've been able to grow and retain our agents uh, over the years and hope to, to continue that. Well, I can I can attribute to the support staff that you've got because again you, you I'm one of, I'm one of the agents in your firm and I know if if I have an issue number one. I could text you and you're mm-hmm. very quick at responding and you're very knowledgeable. And if you're not available, I could call Laura yeah. um, or I can just send her a text or email and yep. she's very, very quick to respond. And she's very knowledgeable. Like everybody there is very knowledgeable on the lenders and the products. If I'm looking, if I've got a tough case, 
I could send it and say, hey, listen, I'm looking for a lender who will lend on this. It's a rental. It's in this place. It's got acreage. Boom, you guys come back with several lenders, say, send it to these guys. These guys, will uh, they'll entertain it. So yeah. the support staff, it really attributes to the growth of your company. What do you find most rewarding about being part of your client's journey to home ownership? Um, so a lot of the files we, we get are people that, I mean, I have an appointment tonight at the court after seven. They went to their bank to do a refi. They're struggling with their payments. And uh, um, the bank said, no, the ratios don't work. You need to contact uh, a mortgage expert that can maybe find the right home for this product. And that's a that's a great feeling when you when you can bring the client in and, and facilitate what they're looking for. Um, I mean, make their dreams come true. Well, I don't know if I'm making their dreams come true. Nobody really wants to borrow more money, but... Um, Really, if you're if you're providing a solution for them, and at the end of the day they say, you know, Dwight, that was great. We really appreciate the job you did and how easy you made it. You know, that makes me feel good that that I can provide a service and a product and make it relatively easy. None of them are easy, but clients don't know that. Um, you know, obviously the uh, you know we're, we're paid fairly well for what we do, and I've got a team that is very. Uh, that I uh, I love working with and my my staff I love working with them all and um, that is very rewarding to have a group that you know we enjoy getting together we enjoy doing stuff and it's great to see them all on Zoom calls and that is very rewarding building something and and having a culture of but as far as the clients yeah helping somebody out getting them something that they didn't think they could get whether it's because they're self employed or because they maybe had some credit hiccups in the past, whatever. And it's, it's a great feeling to know that you can help them in, with something that's affordable and, and meets their budget. No, that's great. I, f I find the same thing um, when people come to me and saying, hey, listen, I went to my bank and I don't qualify. I said, well, let's take a look at why don't you qualify and let's mm -hmm. take a look at some of the lenders because, you know, you have access contracts with 25, 30 lenders, A's More. and B's yeah. that, listen, you know, when a client just goes into their own bank, they're dealing with one person. When they come to us, they have access to 30, 40 different lenders. Yeah. And we can, we can analyze the deal and figure out the right place to take it to. What sets your approach to your success in dealing with clients apart from being like other mortgage brokers and what they do? Well, I can speak with, you know, as far as my existing clients, I mean, a lot of my business is, is repeat business. And uh, for whatever reason, they seem to trust me. Right. Um, something about my demeanor, maybe, or about how I how I talk about what we're doing or whatever. They they feel comfortable and they, they feel that, you know, let's ask Dwight, see what he thinks. And uh, so I think a lot of my success is probably to do with uh, the ability I've had to calm people down and, you know, just, OK, this isn't as bad as it looks. And I think we've got a solution here or an answer. So they're they're happy to come back to me uh, time after time. Um, realtors uh, refer me business to, and it's just kind of the same with them. They know they're going to get the straight goods. If the deal can be done, I'll tell them this can be done. It's going to take a little time, and it may not be at the interest rate that they were hoping for, but I'll get them something that's affordable and, and, and put it together. So I think over the years, that's the one thing I've noticed is customers come back because, again, for whatever reason, they have found that, I'm going to tell them the truth. I'm going to be honest with them and uh, and do my very best to put something together that they can live with. Well, 
I know a couple of things about you that you do that other people don't do. Um, you're really good on handwritten notes. Yeah, handwritten notes are important. And every year, birthday cards, you do birthday yeah. cards and Christmas cards. A lot of people don't do that. And then, you know, some people think, oh, this guy just got me a mortgage. But then their birthday comes around. It's like, I, I just got a birthday card from Dwight. <laughs> you know, or I got a handwritten note because, you know, you you got us on to Buffini. Right. And Buffini yeah. is really big on doing handwritten notes and sending the emails and just making a phone call, calling up a client saying, hey, just want to touch base. You know, you, uh, how, how are things going? And whatever you guys touched on, send them a handwritten note. I know you're really big on that and you got me on that. So and I know that's been a big part of my success too is people really appreciate it. I've gotten emails from, hey, John, I just got your your note. Thanks so much for reaching out. People like to hear from you. You know, whether it's a, a handwritten note or, or a phone call or getting a birthday card, you're right. I don't know. I mean, how many birthday cards most people get today? They might get one or two maybe. Um, and how much time does it really take? Not that much. And yeah, the Buffini is a... Uh, so the Buffini is also is he's a he's a he's a coach he's a his organization is a is a is a coaching organization, but it's also a data data based management tool, and and that's what I use. So bringing up the on a Monday morning, I go in and bring up all the birthdays for the following week and write them a card, and it's not a big deal. But, but those are things like that it. set you apart. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. So. Why should someone deal with a mortgage broker and not just walk into the bank? Because a lot of people think, hey, I've got X amount of dollars with my bank. Mm -hmm. I should be able to get a great rate or uh, they're going to take care of me. What's the difference of dealing with a bank versus a mortgage broker? When I started in 89, mortgage brokers had 5% of the market, maybe less than 5% of the market. Today, it's, it's over 50% and growing. And if you look at first-time buyers, it's even higher than that. I think it's up to 60% of first-time buyers are actually using mortgage brokers. So, and it's a combination of reasons. So, first of all, there's a relationship there. Um, they, a mortgage broker is probably going to be more involved, or should be more should be more involved in your life and in in uh, providing you the best product um, than a bank. A bank only can offer what that bank can offer, and uh, maybe it's what they need, and maybe it isn't. Uh, mortgage brokers can offer them products from, as you said, 30 or 40, 50 or more banks and lenders. Um, so there's that. Um, I think mortgage brokers, I mean, it is our specialty. That's all we do. Whereas a bank, you, you walk into the person at the bank and, you know, that particular day they may have been dealing with setting up savings accounts or opening up credit cards or uh, open up business accounts or whatever, and then you're coming in for a mortgage. And do they know everything about the mortgage and the whole mortgage process? Do they know that, you know, uh, do they look closely at your T1 generals, your tax returns to see if you actually do qualify? Um, do they ask all the questions that, you know, maybe we ask because we've been, this is all that we do. So really the, the process, the, um, the product, the delivery, everything about it, we should be better at it than the bank. Because that is all that we do, and, and customers know that. And people that have used a mortgage broker in the past, uh, when they're talking to one of their friends, they're about to buy a house, and they're thinking, well, I'm just going to go to my bank. And they say, well, no, we used a mortgage broker. So, you know, the word travels. People, you know, the message gets out there that the process with a mortgage broker was 
pretty good. It was pretty slick, and they got us a great rate. They got us a better rate than my bank was offering. I'm not saying a bank can't undercut me. They can if they want to. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying a bank won't give them the product that they need because they might. They might be able to. Um, but at the end of the day, a mortgage broker is going to try to develop a relationship with that client and really try to understand what it is that that client wants and needs and explain it to them properly, spend the time with them. And, uh, and again, we're following the whole process, not just from arranging the mortgage but and getting all the documents signed, but we're also dealing with the appraiser. We're also dealing with the lawyer. And we're also, like, we're involved through the whole process. And, you know, when a client goes through that and then they're talking to their neighbor, they're going to tell them that, you know, you might be better off dealing with a mortgage broker. You touched on something. You said what a client wants and what they need. And I think that most bank employees, they're not familiar with all of the products that are going to actually suit that client. And it could actually, it, they could actually put them in something that's going to cause them harm. Yeah, because maybe that's all they have. Yeah. So you walked into Bank A, and this is what they've got. They've got, they've got these fixed-rate products, and they have these variable-rate products, and you can pick between one or the other, and, uh, and maybe uh, that particular... You know, the bank may be pressured to sell fixed-rate mortgages at that time. They say, hey, listen, we, we need to push these fixed-rate mortgages. We need to get more fixed-rate mortgages out there. So that's what they're going to be pushing. Um, so they're, they're pushing what the bank needs and not what the client needs. That's right. We're, we're going to ask the questions and, and find out, well, the clients don't always know what they need or what they want. So it's up to us really to dig deeper and find out, you know, what are your goals? Where do you What do you think is going to happen? And, and we know, I mean, I've been around long enough to know that you know, a young couple buying their first house probably is not going to be in that house four years from now. So we know that. They don't know that. They think they're there for life, but we know that they're not. So maybe we're tailoring the product more for something that, you know, that's going to suit them down the road, that they're not going to have a lot of pain and agony and because of they went into the wrong product. Tiff McCallum came out a year and a half ago, and he's told everyone, go borrow. We're not going to... Raise rates. We're going to keep rates yeah, low for a very long time. And in the last 18 months, mortgage rates have gone up 10 times. Yeah. Where do you see mortgage rates going in the next 12 to 18 months? Well, so we talk, let's talk about the fixed rates and then the variable rates. Um, fixed very rates. different. Yeah, fixed rates. So we, we got an email on, on Monday from one of the lenders who is very good and very, very in tune. I don't know if you get his emails or not. Uh, from RMG. Um, Scott Carroll? No, Bruno. No, okay. If you're not getting his, you need to get a hold of Scott and tell him you want to get his okay. emails. All right. So that day he said, this is what's happened in the U.S., this, this, that, and the other thing. Not good news for the Canadian bond market, so expect rate increases. So I thought, well, I should send that out. I didn't, and it's just as well, because the next day he sent another one. Guess what? Job numbers just came in. This just came in. That just came in. Looks like there's been a reversal on the bonds. So it looks like we're in for slightly lower rates going forward. So bond rates really fluctuate, and that's what drives fixed rates. And fixed rates can be going up while variable can be going down or vice versa. Because um, the variable so is nobody the really knows. Yeah, well, the variable is primary, yeah. right? So there, nobody really knows what's going on with yeah. fixed rates. I would say that the likelihood that uh, our bonds uh, will take a beating is probably pretty good. So you'll probably see um, fixed rates fluctuating maybe a quarter or half a point over the next couple of years, up and down. 
But the variable rate, now that's the Bank of Canada. And you're right, Tiff, Tiff said, I'm not raising rates, which he did two months later. And then he never stopped. Uh, inflation numbers were completely out of control. Now, they seem to be under control uh, right now. Inflation numbers are, are good. They're not where they want them to be at 2%, but they're they're getting there. And um, will they overshoot? So overshooting is you raise rates so much that you cause a, a, a recession, and uh, which they've typically done historically, and it looks like they've done it again. Mm-hmm. I agree. So, but I think... Probably we're on the or the tail end of their of their increases, and I could see. I mean, there are people predicting rate decreases early two thousand twenty four. I think that's a little optimistic, but by the end of next year, I think you'll see the variable rates starting to come down. If I were telling my one of my children today, and they were buying their first house, what which way to go? I would probably encourage the variable rate. Only, well, for two reasons. A, I do think there's an opportunity that they will actually be saving money during the next five years by, by, by variables going down. And B, the penalties to get out of fixed rates are obscene, um, especially with the banks. They're not so bad with monolines, but they're still bad. Um, you want to avoid that $20,000, $25,000 penalty? Take a variable rate. Yeah, you're going to pay a little more today, but there is the chance that you could save money. And if you move in three years, which you likely will, you're not going to you're not married to that fixed rate. So you take a 5-year fixed rate today at 5.5% and 3 years from now when you move they're down to 3. You really don't want to port that 5.5% mortgage, but you don't want to pay a $20,000 penalty either to get a 3. If you're in a variable, you have the flexibilities, 3 months interest, you know what you're going to pay and away you go. How do the banks calculate what amount of penalty you have to pay? Yeah, I wish I knew. The uh <laughs> Every bank has a different method. Now, fortunately, the big banks and most of the monolines do have a penalty calculator on their website, so you can go in and see. But it is tied to, so if you have two years left, it is tied to what the two-year term would be and the interest rate differential. Um, it's tied to their cost of funds. There's a lot of things they do. Some banks, even if they gave you a discount, so if today's posted rate is 7% and they're giving you 55 uh, they factor in that 1.5% as well. So the penalties can get pretty extreme. And um, in a scenario where, like I said, they're, they have a five and a half and rates are now three, they're really going to get hammered. It's not quite so bad when it's the other way, but they're going to get hammered right now. We're on a variable rate. It's three months of interest. Always three months interest. Yeah. yeah. And that's, and that's a really good point for someone who, you know, is, is thinking about possibly moving. They may be renewing their mortgage and think about possibly moving in the next two to three years they're probably better off in a variable because if they do sell, they're going to get hit heavily with those penalties. Huge. And, you know, deals can fall apart because of it. Like, like, oh, so we've got an environment where maybe people have slightly overpaid in the last couple of years. So just use real numbers. They paid one and a half million for a property two years ago. This really was only worth 1.2. Now they sell the house three years from now and the mortgage, because they paid 1.5, their mortgage is 1.3. Um, and they sell the house, and they only have fifty or sixty, seventy thousand dollars coming out of that for the down payment. And thirty of it goes to penalties. There goes the down payment. Yeah, they could they could be in a real tricky financial situation. And it happens, and it has happened. Well, you know, my my last guest, we we were, th- we're talking real estate, and he's saying, you know, you may have bought in a home uh, for two point one million in twenty twenty one and today it's one point seven. So if you were putting twenty percent down, 
you you're carrying a mortgage of 1.6. Mm-hmm. Now that home is 1.7. Right. You think you have a hundred thousand of equity, but take away your penalty and your real estate fees and your real estate fees. And you may be walking away with 20, 30 grand at best or nothing or nothing. And yeah. you have no money to go put down on another piece of property. So you really have to work with someone like yourself who really understands the product and the client need to make sure that they're getting the right product. Cause it's not all about rate. It's not always about the rate. It's about the product. People, um, it's important you explain the options at the end of the day, if they still take a fixed rate, well, they took a fixed rate, but, um, really explaining this is why, and these are your options and this is what I think. And, and, and I mean, it may only be my opinion, but these are the facts. The penalties are huge, um, and they're not in a variable. It's my opinion that you'll save money down the road, but I can't guarantee that. Um, but if you sell, um, and if you knew, if, if rates drop, and you don't want to stay when, in that high-rate mortgage, you're going to get hammered. So you decide what you what you want to do. The guy that paid, like you said, that two point one million for that property that's worth one point seven. That property was never worth more than one point seven. They got caught up in a frenzy and they paid 2.1 because they thought if I don't buy this house, I'll never be able to buy a house and probably a bad decision. Yeah. Well, you know, they get caught up in the whole multiple listing. Uh-huh. And, multiple uh, offers. Mul- mul- sorry. Yeah. Multiple offers and they want to win and they end up paying three, 400,000 over, over the value of the home. And now they get yeah. caught. So yeah, you're true. You know, let's talk about what's, what's going to happen in the next three to four years. I mean, we're talking 2026. There's uh, $1 trillion of mortgages that's going to be renewed is about 2.2 million mortgages. And people yeah. bought in 2021, and now they're going to get hit with some up to 50% higher rates. Well, a couple of things are happening. Um, so yes, you're right. I mean, uh, that's actually starting next year. A lot of those low rates are starting to renew next year. And so the next three years, a lot of them are coming due. But Remember, people also get raises, and and the bank, the Bank of Canada, uh, and the banks in Canada with our lending guidelines. You know, we had that stress test, and I'm glad we did. Nobody liked it at the time, so that stress test will help a little. It so we've got that two percent buffer, right? Yeah. Yep. Uh, that they could afford based on that two percent buffer. Then you would hope over the next three or four years they'll also get raises. You know, if they only get half a percent per year over the next few years, they should be in a little better shape when it comes time for renewal. People will have to tighten their belts. There's no question. People can't just run out and spend like they were spending. Um, they may have to settle for, you know, a little cheaper car or maybe, because even getting car loans was, was way too easy. And people were not buying Hondas. They were buying BMWs, right? And so they bought a $2.1 million home. They also leased two BMWs. Yeah, they're going to have, they might have to let one of those BMWs go if they want to keep affording their house. But it's time to come back to reality and to what really they can afford. And Canadians find a way. Our arrears in Canada have always been a joke, like historically, ridiculously low. Um, so I, I don't see that changing. I mean, I think our arrears are less than 0.005%, so they might go to 0.008. But really, who cares? That's nobody, right? That's such a small percentage of the population. They'll figure it out. Some people have to sell, no question. But do you think 
even with a small increase of half or 1% raised, do you think that's really going to cover enough, especially with the high food costs, the high fuel costs, carbon tax? You know, the carbon tax is going to drive our fuel costs mm-hmm. much higher than what they are today. Do you think, do you think that's going to be enough to cover? Canadians find a way. <laughs> People have to pick up a side hustle. Maybe. Uh, I don't think I don't think we have it as bad as some other countries like like U.S. Um, their inflation has been going crazy for a lot longer than ours, and it's still very very high. Um, they can buy houses cheaper than we can, uh, but their rates are also higher than ours right now. Um, Canadians, because of the rules with our mortgages, you just really can't over leverage that much. Um, just. Too many rules. The, the Finance Canada's policy changed probably about 10 years ago. It started to change to uh, their position was we do not want to be lending money to people who cannot not only afford it but prove that they can afford it. Now, a self-employed person, that's a different animal. They, you know, you're writing down your income. But there's income there. Even though you've written it down to, to avoid income tax, the income is still there. And uh, so Finance Canada put in a lot of these rules and CMHC uh, was on board and all the insurers got on board to make sure that people were not buying something that they can't uh, not only afford, but prove that they can afford. They have to show it on paper that yes, I can afford this house. Um, So I think that's a lot of the reason why our rears are, are, are low and will stay low. You're right. Things cost a lot more today. Everything costs more food costs more gas costs more, all that stuff. Um, so you don't eat out quite so much and you don't drive quite so far and you maybe stay home with you a little more often and they'll figure it out. Banks are forecasting high default rates. Yeah, high compared to what? Previous years? Yeah, so what? It's still almost nothing. Like a high default rate might be 0.007%. To them, that's a high default rate. Even even some insolvency trustees are saying that uh, they're seeing a spike in, in insolvency and bankruptcies. That's true, but again, that's not altogether to do with mortgages um, or, or interest rates or, or loans. Um, I do think people borrowed too much. I think people I were were um, they were going on that ride through COVID where there's lots of income coming in and they were getting all the help from government, so they were spending money they probably shouldn't have, and um, now it's a reality check. Um, they have to spend less, and they have to watch the money a little bit more, and they maybe have to put some money aside for a rainy day and, and they can't just live a week to week. Uh, again, I, th- I do think Canadians will, will figure it out. You mentioned business owners and how they get to write down their income and they get to, you know, take off a lot of expenses. A lot of my listeners are business owners. Mm-hmm. What type of products are available for a business owner? Because, you know, they're not going to be walking into a bank with, uh, you know, a T4 that's showing salary. A lot of them, you know, they earn big money, but, you know, again, a lot of them don't want to pay tax and they try to write it down. So what, what options are available for them? So a client comes in to see me and they're self-employed and they were at their bank and the bank's rate was 5.5%. They came in and they said, you know what, I was just at my bank. They have a 5.5% mortgage rate, but they can't do my deal because I don't qualify uh, based on my tax return. Um, so there are some, so credit is important and equity is important. And if you have both of those and if also a little bit of net worth, uh, we have banks that will give you them that 5.5%. Um they have really good credit, a bit of equity, a bit of assets. Even though the numbers don't work, they will go much higher on their on their ratios for that particular customer. 
But then you have the customer who doesn't have a big net worth. Maybe their credit's a little soft, but they're self-employed. They've been self-employed for a couple of years, and they have a reasonable down payment. Well, they may not get 5.5%. They might get 65 or maybe even 7 But there's products out there. But again, they're not going to buy with 10% down. That's all. They're going to need a little bit. 20%. 20% minimum. And some yeah. banks now, they're looking, uh, you know, banks banks realize that business owners do try to write down their income. I think there's programs that uh, Business for Self, that they'll take a look at their last, say, you know, three uh, three months banking statements to see That's what right. kind of deposits are going through just to, just to kind of verify the income. You know, you, you say you make 200, but you're showing 50. Let's take a look at the bank statements. Yeah, they look at the bank statements and reasonable expenses. So if you have a business where you're, where you're putting $500,000 a year through your company and your legitimate business expenses are maybe about $300,000, um, and that's inventory, um, staff, fuel costs, or whatever, maybe rent for your commercial building, and that's around $300,000. Well, there's 200000 left over there. Um, but even though your accountant saying you make twenty, these lenders can use that two hundred and dollars uh, um, bring the ratios in line because that's reasonable. I mean, the money's there and the cash flow is there. Cash flow, you know, as long as there's cash flow, there's ways to make payments and, and they see that and understand that. Um, but again, they're going to need a little more down payment, the 20% or more. Canada is committed to bringing 500,000 new immigrants to Canada each year. What type of programs are available for someone new to Canada? So the the new to Canada program is designed... It's not designed for a, a, a new immigrant with no job. Um, it's not designed for a new immigrant with a disastrous credit history. But a new immigrant coming to Canada uh, that has secured a job but that has not had the chance to establish credit. So that's what the New to Canada program is more geared to. They just have not had a chance to establish a, what we would call a, you know, a credit credit rating that most banks are going to be looking for, minimum requirements for credit rating. So that hasn't been established. So they'll look at, you know, their cell phone bills. They'll look at their rent payments. They'll look at their uh, utility payments to say, okay, this person does pay their bills. They just haven't established credit. So that's the main reason for the new to Canada program. Now, there's also other programs for high net worth people coming in. So they're coming in with a lot of cash, and they've, they put it in the bank, and they want to put some of it down. So there's programs for those people as well. Then there's also programs for professionals, uh, so new new immigrants coming to Canada, they may be um, they may be a doctor, maybe a lawyer, whatever. But so the banks will now look at their potential income. They know what they're going to earn. Now they have no history; they don't have a two year track record. But they know what a salary of a of a good doctor or lawyer is. So they'll base it on that. That's a good point. A lot of new first time home buyers, people in, entering into the real estate world, what can someone expect or what sort of aspects can someone expect to get going through the whole mortgage process? What, what should they be prepared to do, someone who's never had a mortgage before? Well, they need to have their ducks in a row. They need to have their documents. Um, they need to file their income taxes. What documents would those be? So typically, if somebody's employed, we're going to need a letter of employment, last year's T4 and a current pay stub. They're going to need to be able to prove their down payment and the source of it, where it's been, how it got there. Um, is, and that's, you know, the, the down payment is just as important as the income. If you can't prove where you got your down payment, then you're going to have a problem. So really it's, and credit rating is very, very important. 
So if your credit's soft and you know it's soft, you've been missing payments, and yeah, you might be a year or two away. So start getting those in a row. But when you walk into my office, I'd really like to see, other than photo ID, obviously, I'd really like to see your pay stub, your T4, a letter from your employer, and maybe six months bank statement showing you've accumulated the money for your down payment. If the down payment's coming from dad, that's fine. I just will need to see a letter from dad saying that they're giving him the money. But those are the main ingredients that I don't want to see when they're coming in. Someone's come in, they've got the down payment, they've got sufficient income, provable income, but their credit's bad. Yeah, that's a problem. So that person's going to need a bigger down payment again. There's products available for them, but they're going to need a minimum of 20% down, maybe even more, depending on how, how bad their credit is. If they are uh, in or not, if they're in a consumer proposal currently, then they have to get out. Um, if they have been bankrupt in the past, we would like to see two years. Um, the less time between their discharge and when they're buying, the higher the interest rate. What can someone do to fix their credit? Pay their bills. Pay the bills on time. <laughs> um, one of the, uh, I mean, the things that really affect your credit negatively, a high balance is on all of your accounts. So if you have four credit cards and they're all maxed out, your credit's going to be in the tank. So you want to pay down those balances to at least 50% well in advance of showing up at my office. Um, yeah, I know it, people say get rid of them. No, keep them open because you want to have your accounts open with smaller balances so that you so you have a track record with those uh, with those accounts. If you have collections, uh, minor collections, maybe you didn't return your box or Rogers in time and they've gone after you and put a collection, pay the collection and keep the paperwork so that we can show that it's paid. Uh, all those things negatively impact your credit. And everything has to be paid on time. Minimum payment, if even if it's $10, make the minimum payment $10. And you know if you're not because you're going to get... Today, you know, with with all of your credit cards or most of your credit cards, you're going to get an email the, when, the day after your, or a text the day after your payment was due saying your payment was due. So there's no excuse for not staying on top of those minimum payments. Well. You, you've taught this in in uh, in your training. You know, one of the C's of credit is character, and banks don't like to see if you're late. They they don't want to be paid late, no. and it's all part of your character. It is. Yeah. I'll, I'll give you a, a personal uh, story of of a client that I'm working with right now. Um, makes excellent money, mm-hmm. um, above and beyond what he he would even qualify. His ratios are very low. Uh, two months ago, he had a score in the mid seven hundreds. I pull his credit, he's in the mid-600s. I said, okay, well, what's going on here? So I took a look at his credit report. Not one late payment. There's no derogatories, nothing on it. However, I did notice he's 90 95% utilization. All his credit cards are maxed out. And I said, what's going on here? He says, oh, I've been traveling, and I haven't submitted an expense yet, and uh, I, I haven't paid these off. I said, well, this has brought your score down almost 90%, like 90 points. this would be a good time to pay those down. This is a good time <laughs> to pay this thing off. I go, he goes, it's just bad timing that, yeah. you know, you had a score in the mid-700s, and now because you're below 680, mm-hmm. I've got to give you a higher rate. So he's, uh, he said, what, what, what can I do? I said, pay them off immediately. It's going to take about 30 days for the banks to report to Equifax. However... If you call Equifax, show proof that you've paid them all off. They may work with you, 
and they may reflect your score. I said, however, but my advice to anybody out there who's looking to get a mortgage, take a look at your utilization. If you are more than 60, 70%, get it down to 35% on all of your stuff before someone pulls your, your credit score because it's definitely going to affect it. And you can't always count on what you get from Credit Karma or some of those other no, online. No, no. Uh, they have their own... They have their own scoring system. They don't use the same scoring system we do. When we run a credit check, we get four different scores, and none of them are the ones that Credit Karma uses. So the Credit Karma might have you at 700, but you come into my office, and guess what? You're 590, um, and you're shocked. Why am I 590? Credit Karma had me at 700. Well, they look at different things, different tools, and uh, they tell you what you want to hear. Um, they'll tell you when you're dropping. So when that 700 drops to 680, you'll get a notice that it has dropped. But... Um, it's not an, a real reflection of the credit scores that we see and that we have to use. Yeah. You've been in the mortgage industry a long time. I'm sure there has been several times that you've had to go above and beyond for a client. Can you highlight any time that, that something that comes to mind where you really went above and beyond the duty call of duty for a client? Well, first of all, let me say, um, I mean, there's things that I've done for clients uh, to facilitate their, their transaction that a bank couldn't or wouldn't do or shouldn't do. Um, but really, going above and beyond of our, our, our clients' expect, expectations, that's our job, right? So I don't look at it and say, well, I did this or I did that and went over above and beyond because that's my job to go above and beyond. It's my job to get the best product. It's my job to, I mean, if somebody, so you're a great example of the credit card, uh, they've, they've got these high balances and... Um, or maybe they've got some tax arrears, income tax arrears or realty tax arrears, and I can't do it because of those arrears. So, you know, did I find somebody to lend them the money to pay those things off so that I could get them the mortgage down the road? Yeah, maybe. Um, should I do that or whatever? I mean, you know, if you know the customer and they've been a customer of yours a long time and, you know, if that helps and there's a really good reason for doing it, well, then then maybe we'll do that. One of the things that we can do and that uh, I don't know that uh, I think brokers are better at this than maybe the banks is, is we do have a relationship with Equifax or TransUnion and we do know the ins and outs of it and we do know how to fix a credit bureau. If it should be fixed, uh, we can spot things that maybe shouldn't be there. Uh, they say, well, I paid that off three months ago. Well, I have the form and you can sign this form. I'll send it in and they will correct it. But I don't look at that as going above and beyond. That is our job. We know how to correct it, so why wouldn't we we do that and, and help the client bring the credit score up to where it should be, fix the credit bureau that should be fixed because it was an error, and there are errors. Um, sometimes I'll pull a credit bureau, and then we'll send the file in, and the bank pulls a credit bureau, and it's a completely different credit bureau where the client, for some reason, has two different accounts. Maybe one... Um, Maybe one institution that was was asking for credit bureau put in the wrong information and thus created a second account. Um, we we get the bureau and we say they say well I have a Bank of Montreal Mastercard and I have a, a loan with TD and none of that's on that bureau which should which would help their score. I say well I don't know why it's not there. So we can get a hold of Equifax. They can find the other bureau. They can merge them and we can we can help them. So, but all those little things that that we do that's our job. It's our job to go above and beyond. It's our job to facilitate getting them the product that they want. Um, it's our job to meet them after hours. It's it's our job to take their call at eight o'clock at night if they're if 
they're struggling. It's our job to call the lawyer and say, hey, listen, what's going on here? Why, what do you mean you, there's a collection there? They have no collection. And what's that lien there that you're talking about that you can't close the deal today? And it's our job to find that out and dig a little deeper and get it cleared up so they can close their mortgage. And that's just, again, going back to why you want to deal with a mortgage broker and just the difference between dealing with someone at the bank because you walk into that mortgage guy at the bank, chances are he's not going to be able to give you that form or he's not even know about a form and say, hey, listen, complete this. We're going to get this derogatory thing removed off off of your, mm-hmm. uh, your, your bureau. They're not going to know to look for multiple files, possible multiple, multiple files on uh, someone's credit bureau. And they're not probably staying till eight o'clock when they're, when their time is five o'clock. It's like, no, you got to come see me at four o'clock. Cause I leave at five o'clock and I mm-hmm. need an hour to do this where you yourself, you said you're going to go see a client at seven o'clock. And I've, I've seen clients at eight thirty, nine o'clock because that was the time that it yeah, well, fit. That may be pushing it a bit, eight o'clock or nine o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> it fit their schedule. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So as a, as a prominent figure in the mortgage industry, what legacy do you want to leave behind? Well, Rock Capital uh, is a great, I think, um, I'll leave behind Rock Capital, Rock Capital Mortgage. And I think that's a great legacy. It's, I think it's a great company. And, you know, we've, I, as I mentioned before, I've got a great team there that is supporting me and pretty much running the company uh, for me. I'll say with me, but really they're running it for me. Uh, so leaving that company behind with a lot of, I mean, I, I brought people on, um, I shouldn't say that, people have come on board with just regular jobs making $30,000, dollars $50,000 a year saying, yeah, I want to take a, a crack at this mortgage business. And to see them now making two or $300,000 a year and see the house they're living in and the cars they're driving and, and the families that they've, that they've, they've grown, I mean, that's, that's a real feel-good to see you that Rock Capital has actually really in, impacted their lives and really made their lives better. Um, so when I leave or when I retire and, and you leave Rock Capital behind, I leave behind a whole lot of agencies who will have changed their lives they're, they're so much for the better. They're traveling and they're enjoying life. And hopefully they've got a whole database of really happy clients that they've served well. They've helped them refinance. They've helped them buy houses that they never thought they could. They've brought people into the home ownership uh, and so that's what I hope to leave behind. And at the end of the day, they'll say, yeah, Dwight had a pretty good company and it's still going and, and it's doing well. Well, you definitely have a great company. I've been with you since 2011. And the one thing I can say is you're top notch with the training. You're, you're every week, you're on top of training. Yeah, and you getting... need to come on more. <laughs> <laughs> I got to try to fit that in my schedule. <laughs> but new, new, new agent training is, is uh, very key. You're, you're on that. Uh, yeah, I, I, I try to get on some of the Zoom calls. It's very difficult with my schedule. Mm-hmm. But uh, I can say that you've built an impressive organization because of the training and the support staff. How can people find you? Rockcapital.ca. Um, just Google Rock Capital Mortgage or Rock Capital Investments. Rock Capital Mortgage now. We've changed the name and or Google me. Um, it's easy to find us. Dwight, this has been great. Thanks so much. I hope our listeners definitely learned something today on uh, what to look for in a mortgage and a mortgage broker. Guys, you can follow us on YouTube, Wealth Easy, or you can follow me on Instagram at John Durbano or TikTok or Facebook. This has been great. We'll see you next time. Take care of yourself and take care of your wealth.